Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Premium Negos. Swiss Premium Negos is a luxury travel, transportation, and concierge company based in Geneva, Switzerland. It is a passion-driven business established in 2011 by its ardent founders who have built their careers in luxury hospitality management. Swiss Premium Negos was selected in 2022 as the best luxury concierge company in Switzerland by a world-renowned organization. SVN offers its clients exclusive access to the world's best hotels, villas, and resorts, pampers them with unrivaled limousine services, and perfectly tailored experiences. SVN team embraces change, innovation, and the state-of-the-art technology in order to thrive in the world of luxury. Enjoy SVN's unique services because luxury is all about the details. Contact SVN at www. SwissPremiumNegos.com to learn about their services. You can join them on their journey by following them on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook for more updates about their latest releases and special offers. Good afternoon, and welcome to 50 Shades of Hospitality. This is Crystal Cavan, your host. Today, we are welcoming Robert Watson to our program. Welcome, Robert. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Of course. Thank you, Crystal, for having me today. So my name is Robert Watson, and I'm the chief concierge uh, or chef concierge at the Willard Intercontinental Hotel in Washington, D.C. I have been here for in D.C. for 17 years. I got uh, transferred from London, which is really my home city, even though you wouldn't say so by my accent. The reason I have an accent is because the following reason. When I was born, my father was working for an English company called Rickett and Coleman and he was posted in Montevideo, Uruguay. So my first 10 years of life was spent in Uruguay. Then we got transferred to Central America to San Jose, Costa Rica for another six years. In Costa Rica there was no English school for me to go to so my parents wanted me to have a European schooling so they put me into the French school, the Lycée Francais. So I did all my high school studies in French and Spanish. By the time we went back to the UK, I was 16, so hence my accent, yeah. So you've built an exemplary career spanning more than 40 years as a concierge in prestigious establishments. Can we retrace your journey step-by-step, starting with how your choice to become a concierge came about? Okay, so the choice wasn't mine to become a concierge, to start in the hotel industry. What happened is that when we went back to the UK and I was 16, I had finished all my high school studies. I had my baccalaureate done. I was not university material. My siblings went to university. I didn't want to go to university. So for the first three months when we went back to the UK, to London, I was doing absolutely nothing. I was at home and I can't even say that I was playing with the video games because there weren't any at the time and that was in 1975. One day the phone rings, I answered the phone, the person on the other line at the end of the phone said, oh can we speak to Mr. Watson please? Of course that's Mr. Watson was my dad. So 
I passed the phone to my dad, so he had a chat, and then I went back to the living room to watch TV. Then when he puts the phone down, he comes and tells me, son, let's go and have a chat. So we went to the dining room, and he explained to me that that was the Intercontinental Hotel in London that's opening in two weeks' time, or three weeks' time at the time. I thought mm-hmm. to myself, yes, and then he explained to me that he had applied on my behalf to be a... F- uh huh. To be a, without asking me, of course, to be a receptionist, a front desk agent. And he explained that the director of HR who had phoned said that I was too young to be a receptionist. I had to be 18 or older. But they had a position as a page boy. So I said to my dad, well, what is a page boy, dad? And he said, I'm not really sure, but we'll find out when we go for the interview. So my dad and I, we went for an interview at the Intercontinental Hotel pre-opening the following week we had the interview with the chef concierge of the hotel so anyway needless to say i got the job and i started two weeks later and that was two weeks before the hotel opened as a page boy i was the first page boy employed at the intercontinental london anyway the chef concierge explained well once you start as a page boy after two years you know you can go to front desk eventually you can be front desk manager and one day you can be general manager and honestly that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be general manager of the hotel or a hotel anyway so i started and within six months i got promoted to assist and uh, not to assistant concierge but trainee concierge and i said to the chef concierge mr Zanicolo, you can forget about me going to reception this is my call i want to stay at the concierge day. and that's what i've been doing for the last 48 years that's how my career within the concierge world started and so yes it started in london i was in at the continental london for nine years and i got promoted in- through out in London. So I got promoted within the hotel from trainee concierge to concierge and eventually I became the assistant head night concierge because the operation at the time was a 24-hour concierge operation. So after nine years I had visions of me one day being chef concierge of course but I had seven people ahead of me waiting for promotion. There was no way that I would get any promotion anytime soon. I started looking and um, a position came available in South Africa. It was in Santon, Johannesburg, and it was the opening of the Santon Intercontinental Hotel. So I got transferred to South Africa. I stayed in Johannesburg for 18 months. I saw the opening of the hotel. I stayed there for a year until they offered me another position as chef concierge down in Cape Town at the Cape Sun Intercontinental. Altogether, I stayed there for another 18 months. And then issues started in South Africa, political issues, etc. So I wanted to come back to Europe. So after three years in South Africa, and I loved Cape Town, absolutely I loved it. I got a position at the Intercontinental Hotel in Luxembourg. I started there in September of, I'm just trying to think now, such a long time ago, of 86, no, February 86. I stayed in Luxembourg for two and a half years. Thereafter, after about two and a half years in Luxembourg, I got transferred to the Intercontinental Mayfair in London. We had two Intercontinentals at the time, where I stayed for another other two and a half years. Then I got, um, how can I put it, headhunted, so to speak. Left Intercontinental after all those years. It was like 15, 16 years within Conti at the time. Um, I went to work at the, it was a height, a park height at the time, the Carlton Tower. I stayed there for about six years. And then again, a friend of mine from the Intercontinental London, he was number two at the Governor House Hotel in London. He asked me, we're looking for a chef concierge, would be interested. So that for me was a big challenge, you know. I mean, it was a grand dame. I moved 
over to yeah. Park Lane. Then another friend and colleague who left the Grosvenor House, he went to work at the Landmark Hotel in London. He asked me, would you consider coming to us? I loved the hotel, the Landmark. And yes, I, I moved and I was there for two years until I get a phone call from Intercontinental again asking me, I know, asking me. Over you. Well, not exactly fighting, but... <laughs> Yes, I guess people were desperate. No, joke aside, the general manager of the Willard Intercontinental was looking for a Cledor chef concierge, European. I wasn't sure because I had never been to Washington before. I'd never seen the hotel before. So they actually flew me for a weekend just to see the property, see Washington and see if I wanted to move over. And yes, I fell in love with the place. I love Washington. And, you know, London for me became too much of a rat race as well. As you get older, you know, anyway, I moved to Washington and an advantage that I had was that my wife is American. So in regards to visa issues, there weren't that many. Yeah. So I've been here for the last 17 years and yeah, I love the property and my hotel is over 200 years old and there's so much history there. I'm actually the historian of the hotel now, maybe because of my age, I don't know. But Let's go back to something you said, Robert. You said you started as a page boy. You got, after six months, you were promoted. And you said, yeah, that's when I decided I wanted to be a concierge. Why? What was it that you liked about that job as a young man? As a young man, because I, I love dealing with people, with all sorts of people, mm -hmm. all different nationalities. And I've been traveling all my life as a youngster before I started working. I love interacting with people. Just by being able to satisfy our guest request, for me, that was a great motivator to remain within the concierge desk. And yes, I mean, in the olden days as well, the general managers used to be in the lobby all the time, you know, and they knew their guests. They were there to welcome the guests. Maybe now it doesn't happen so often. So you have customer service in your blood. I have, in actual fact, because we've been traveling all our, you know, from the get-go, you know, with my parents. It was a natural progression that with us siblings, we'll go into the hotel industry or the airline industry. And uh, let's face it, I wanted to be a pilot like any other kid at the time, you know, but uh, unfortunately my math wasn't good enough to be a pilot. So my older brother, he became eventually in, in England general manager of an hotel. It's a big group. In actual fact, it's part of my group IHD you know and he had different properties holiday in property my sister was one of the first recruit as um, air stewardess for Virgin Atlantic when Virgin only had two planes at the time my younger brother he was the black sheep of the family so to speak he went into the travel agency so it is in our blood and the concierge DNA is definitely my blood and my son's blood since my wife is also a concierge that's how we met um, so he's got the DNA of two concierges, my son. So, Robert, the job of concierge is perceived in different ways. There is the perception of the customer, that of the employer, that of the general public. Can you give your own version and illustrate to our listeners what the role of a concierge is supposed to be in a luxury hotel? Of course. Now, I like to think that we are the keepers of the lobby. You know, we oversee the doorman. We oversee the luggage orders, salmon. We oversee page boys. If you have a page boy on, on staff, of course, now. Of course, I oversee the concierge desk itself. At the end of the day, I like to think that we are the ambassadors to the hotel. You know, we welcome the guests. Yes, of course, front desk has to do a, a great job as well, you know, allocating the room, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, we have more interactions with the guests because the guests will arrive to the hotel and the luggage is delivered to the room. Thereafter, the guest comes to us for different sorts of information or directions. I would think it's very important to have that in the lobby for welcoming regular guests back 
as well. Right. And do you know the amount of times that people have said, not just to me, but to my colleagues as well, the only reason we come here is because you are here. You know, yeah. for us, it's a great, you know, wow. Yeah, yeah of course. You're a friendly face. We are, we are. And, you know, we, we have to not just, you know, lay on our laurels, but, you know, we have to update, as a concierge I'm talking about, update ourselves on yeah. events going on in the city. We have to have the contacts, both in the theater and sporting events. We have to have personal contacts in, you know, booked out restaurants. We can pick up the phone and say, John, I need a table for two tonight. It's really important to us. And we cannot do it for everybody. But, you know, it's important to have those connections your network. Correct. We know that the concierge is sometimes called upon to satisfy the most incredible requests of hotel guests. The stories, I imagine, are endless. What are some of the craziest anecdotes that you can share on this podcast platform? To start with your first phrase was, what I normally say is that we can do everything for the guests as long as it's legal and moral. So that gives you a big spectrum of what we can do. And we've been asked to, you know, for things that are not legal and moral. And, you know, there's ways and ways of diverting the answers. And this is a typical concierge answer. Many years ago, a guest back in London, many years ago, a guest came and said, oh, can you get me uh, an escort? Sometimes what I used to do is send, unfortunately, you know, that's not our job. We cannot help you with that. So I used to send the yellow pages up to the room. That's when there was a yellow pages. Now they can check it online. <laughs> One day when this guest asked me for an escort, I said, very well, sir. Would you like a manual or automatic? As he was asking for a rental car. That was pretty cheeky, but anyway. So you asked me about crazy things that we've been asked for, etc. If you have money, anything is possible. It is true. If you need uh, to have a private plane in three hours because you need to travel from Washington to LA, etc., etc. If you have the money, if you have your credit card, no issues. You know, so that for me is really easy. And I would think for any concierge will be very easy. But it's the small touches that may be difficult to satisfy our guests. And I give you a couple of examples. One example is going back to London when I was working as night concierge. A guest comes down three o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and he goes to the cashier, checks out, he comes over to me and he says, I wonder if you can help. I'm in a pickle. He was American, by the way. He says, I was just tying my shoelaces and they broke. One of the shoelaces broke and I'm on my way to the airport. Is there any 7-Eleven or whatever that I can stop by with a car and get a pair of shoelaces? And we're going back to the early early 80s when there was no 24-hour stores. 7 o'clock or 6 o'clock came and everything was closed. And at the airport, there was nothing either because he was checking in pretty early. So I said, well, what color are you looking for? He said, well, uh, black. You know, but any color will do. He said, oh, just give me a couple of minutes. Because the same thing happened to me all the time at work. I always kept a pair of shoelaces in my locker. So I went down to my locker and sure enough, my shoes were black. So again, I mean, I saved his day with that simple gesture and he became a regular guest of the hotel. You know, he never forgot that. The simple things are the most, sometimes are the most difficult things. Something else that happened, I was asked here in, in Washington, and that was pre-COVID. A lady, we get a lot of 
government people staying in our hotel. And there was a young lady that came to my desk. She says, I wonder if you can help me. I'm a new mom. I'm here for a government conference and it's been delayed. So I've got to stay here for an extra three days. I left my newborn baby with my mother back in Indiana, wherever it was, I can't remember. I'm only feeding him breast milk. I'm not willing to give him formula or whatever. It's formula. Exactly. Yeah. I said, okay, why don't you go to the what chemist? Well, no, no. Go to the chemist, get a, a pump to express your milk, get some bags and come back to me. In the meantime, I sorted out with our purchasing manager a cooler box. We had some dry ice brought to the hotel. So she did express her milk. She gave me, I don't know how many bags. So anyway, I didn't know because I sent the box upstairs to the room. Then we put the dry ice on it and got in touch with uh, FedEx. And sure enough, the box was delivered the next day. There you go. I mean, I could tell you, you know, the stories that my colleagues have back home in London. One of my colleagues had an Indian wedding and they wanted an elephant for the wedding. That was pre my days at the Grosvenor House. And they actually got a baby elephant. There was a circus in town and they managed to get the elephant over and they took it down to the ballroom. And the ballroom at the Grosvenor House, it's the biggest in London, or there used to be anyway. They actually took it down the lift. It was a big service lift. And that lift became the Jumbo lift. And that's how I found out about the story about the elephant. I love it. Working your concierge magic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There is an uh, ongoing debate about the future of the concierge profession. Some question the usefulness of this role. And now new hotel structures tend to unify the reception desk with that of the concierge. The staff at the front desk are required to be versatile, provide the concierge service on a rotating basis according to their work schedules. What is your opinion on this subject? I would say it may work in certain type of brands within the industry. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, a brand that is not a luxury brand. You know, that the guest comes in, they just need to know where the nearest restaurant is because there's no restaurant in the hotel. You know, that sort of thing. It's much easier not to have a concierge in those senses. Now, I've got a saying. I don't have a saying. This is a saying from Einstein. If I may read it to you, I'm quoting from Einstein. The day technology surpasses our human interactions, it is the day the world will become a generation of idiots. Now, the computers weren't around there. Having said that, you know, technology for the concierge has helped us tremendously. What I call technology within the concierge sphere is, is an extension to our fingertips. You know, we are able to get more accurate answers to the guests and faster as well. You know, this whole talk about AI taking over from the concierge, etc. And, you know, there's no AI that will have the personal context that we have, that we formed in many, many years of doing what we do. And, you know, you've heard of Chap GPT. So, yeah, yeah, I was part of a panel in uh, Langkawi, Malaysia, about two months ago. And it was all to do with AI. And I was part of the concierge panel. There was other people there from, you know, general manager of uh, Ritz-Carlton, etc., etc. But I was part of the concierge. Panelist. Anyway, before I went to Malaysia, I went on ChatGPT and I said, give me the top 10 restaurants in Washington, D.C. And sure enough, it was pretty accurate. So I went a stage further and I said, oh, can you get me a reservation at one of the restaurants that it had mentioned? And the reply from ChatGPT was, oh, unfortunately, we don't do all this. Uh, we don't make reservations, but you can always go online and uh, use OpenTable 
or talk or etc etc to make a reservation online those restaurants are fully booked for months in advance so no online system will be able to get you in that's what i'm saying you know it, it's that's a perfect example at the end of the day we have to make sure we carry on doing what we do show our worth within the hotel industry so robert do you agree with the statement that there is no hospitality without concierge for sure you know it's and again we coming back to the different brands that hotel corporations right. have now you know and you have to yes the holiday inns don't need a concierge but the intercontinental hotels do the region hotels do uh, ritz carlton st regis etc and i can go on and on and even in switzerland you know private owned hotels for instance the borolac or the bon rivage in geneva concierge will always be there because it's essential they know they're returning guests all the time Our series of podcasts is intended to be a training tool, a vehicle of information that complements the academic curriculum of hotel institutions around the world. To become a hotel concierge, what academic path do you suggest or what training path or career path would you suggest? What I always say to the youngsters coming through into the concierge career, and I can speak about myself, I don't have any training, well, not professional, but any academic training, because there isn't any academic training to become a concierge. You have to have it within you to be able to satisfy guests' requests. I always point at my heart, and it has to come from here. And if it doesn't come from there, you don't have it. That's the way I see it. In Europe, it operates differently from the US, for instance, and I've in both ways like i did in europe normally you start as a page boy you know you finish high school 16 18 year old and you start as a page boy and then you work your way up and that's what i did here in in the states you become a concierge because you are in your university you're trying to get a degree so you go to the concierge world as a part-time job so that you know you can subsidize yourself when you are you know doing all your degree studies and sure enough time and time again that person person who did this as a part-time job has become a full-time concierge because they loved it so much and you know I can attest to that because of my wife she went into the concierge world for a short period of time uh, while she was getting her degree and sure enough afterwards she just went into the concierge sure enough she's got her degree but she's never used it and a lot of other people that have degrees you know they, uh, yeah so But one thing Robert that I would like to mention is that one of the reasons perhaps you became also a, a good concierge is that you speak several languages. Don't you think that that is a big part of being a concierge being able to speak to people speaking other languages other than your native language? Absolutely. Again, it wasn't through me wanting to learn languages. I had to. So, you know, I can speak from the London point of view. Everybody speaks English. In London, language necessity doesn't is not that important because 99% will speak English or will try. And there'll be somebody within your desk that speaks that particular foreign language. And the same in in Europe. A lot of Americans will come. And yes, I think maybe English might be an advantage to be a concierge. In Europe because you've got a lot of Americans that come over. Yeah. In Luxembourg, I mean, I was lucky because I spoke French, of course, but in Luxembourg, you speak French, you speak German, you speak Luxembourgish, which is um, a mixture between Flemish and Dutch and German all put together. You know, when I was in South Africa, I was there, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but I was there during the apartheid years. By law, you had to speak Afrikaans if you were uh, guest-facing. 
And sure enough, you know, me coming from Europe, uh, Afrikaans wasn't my language. So I always made sure that I had Afrikaans-speaking member of my staff with me at the desk. And what about in Washington? Do you use your Spanish? I use everything because a lot of, I would think, 30% of, of the employees in the hotel are Spanish, Latin American. It's funny, when we had a luggage borders meeting, and most of them were Latin American, but they lived in the States for many, many years. Everybody was sitting down, you know, with a face that I have. I definitely haven't got a Latin face. <laughs> I start speaking Spanish to them. You know, I had to pick a couple of them from the floor and say, explain to them, you know. We have a lot of delegations staying in our hotel. Mm -hmm. I'm able to speak Spanish, French, Italian to them. You know, yes, it is an advantage. I am yeah. sometimes called upon to help translate if somebody is not yeah. speaking that particular language at the front desk, you know, I go over. It is an advantage. Robert, you're part of the Association des Clés d'Or in which you have held several positions. What is the role of this association and why is it so important to be part of it? Okay, so I've been a member of Cledor now since 1980, so we're going, what, 43 years ago now. The whole association, our credo is that in service through friendship, that's our motto. What we do is create our own network within Cledor. And it doesn't mean that if you're not a Cledor member, you're not a, you're a bad concierge. Not at all. But by being a Cledor member means that you've served your apprenticeship. You know, you've had to have minimum of five years as a concierge in the lobby of an hotel, not in a club floor or elsewhere. You have been proposed and seconded by two actual members. You've gone through a series of tests. You get cold callers calling your hotel as well as calling your colleagues in other hotels to see they know you and what can you say about them. Something that I always say to the youngsters is never have any skeletons in your cupboard because they are bound to come out one way or another. Every year we have a congress somewhere in the world, except during COVID years, of course. The last congress was in Istanbul, Turkey, and we have congresses all over, as I said before. The next congress will be in Bali in April next year. Uh, you know, there's going to be nearly 600 delegates attending that Congress. It's important to have that networking. Just to give you an example, and now it can be done on through an email, but one of my regular guests said, oh, I'm going to London, and I know you worked in London. Do you have any contacts there? I said, yeah, all over, but which hotel are you staying? He mentioned the Intercontinental. I said, yeah, well, you know, it's my old hotel. <laughs> he asked me, well, you know, I need somebody to pick me up at the airport. He gave me the flight details. He wanted to have a massage for him and his wife, booked flowers in the room for his wife, restaurant reservations in this particular restaurant, etc., etc. In the olden days, before we had computers, I would pick up the phone and I would call them and give them all the information. Now, what I did is I sent Peter, the chef concierge at the Interconti, an email with everything that Mr. Mrs. Smith uh, required. And sure enough, I get an email the following day, all confirmed, and I forward the email to right. Mrs. Smith. And there was no credit card required. Everything now is, oh, I need a credit card. I cannot book it without a credit card. We take ownership, and that's what being part of the Cledor is. You take care of your people. Correct. 
The Association des Clés d'Or organizes competitions. What is your opinion on these competitions? What are some tasks that uh, are performed in these events? And what is the ultimate goal of these competitions? Okay, so this competition started 15 years ago. It was started by uh, Dennis O'Brien, who's now a concierge up above. He started this award for the youngsters in our association because, let me just go back, I was a member of the executive committee and I served as third VP, second VP, first VP, and eventually became international president of the organization. And after two years as past president, if you are voted in or agreed by the membership, you become a member of the Conseil des Sages. What happened was that in 2008, I was second vice president at the time. The first vice president was a good friend of ours. His name was Andy Pongo, and he was a chef concierge of the Intercontinental in Philippines in Manila. Unfortunately, he passed away far too early before he became international president. You know, he was next in line. So Dennis O'Brien, who was international president at the time, formed this. Up to then, we did not have a competition or an award, so to speak. So that's when it was created. And that was the reason. And for about five years in a trot, it was called the Andy Pongo Award. And now what we've done is it's the Cledor, the Young Leader Award. But every year now we are naming the award after a passing international president of the association. This year, in actual fact, the uh, award has been named after the person who started the Cledor many, many years ago. And, and his name is Ferdinand Gillet. And what happens is that each country can nominate a person for the award. This stipulations, i.e. age, and they have to be under 32 years old. This congress that they are attending must be the first international congress that they've attended. What happens is that the country that are putting this person forward for the award has to pay both for the airfare and the registration. So you have a competition yeah. within yeah. each section to nominate one particular person to go for the international. So once we have the nominations and we have a committee who's in charge of quantifying or you know checking all the award nominations just to make sure that they are according to the standards and then each person when was it in Turkey we had about 15 nominated uh, young leaders for the award each person gets a test they have to write an essay they have to do a five minute video of their town like showcasing the town and then mm -hmm. in the congress itself it's over one day full day each nominee has to go in front of the panel, the judging panel, for an interview, a live interview. And then the panel votes and decides. They give scores for every single thing that's been completed by the nominees. And then whoever gets the best score gets the award. And the award is shared in the gala on the last night. So I have one last question for you, Robert. What would be your universal message of encouragement to embrace a hospitality career addressed to young people aspiring to the profession of hotel um, you know, and I'm going back to my words before. If you're thinking about becoming a concierge, don't get the solution if you hear about the concierge not being needed any longer, as you referred to before, within the 
hotel industry. If you choose the right group, the right hotel, the concierge will always be required. You have to be yourself. Yes, we go on stage every single day, but at the end of the day, you have to be yourself. And that's the way that the guest likes you to be. You know, eventually, you know, a lot of our guests become our friends. We keep in touch throughout. But it's imperative, and again, to what I said before, is that you have it in you, that your heart is with the profession. Robert, thank you so much for sharing your experience, your stories, your anecdotes, and your wisdom on becoming and being a concierge. We thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, and thank you for having me. You know, any aspiring concierge that uh, want to get some more information can always call me at the Willard Intercontinental in Washington. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Today's episode is being sponsored by Swiss Premium Negos. Swiss Premium Negos is a luxury travel, transportation, and concierge company based in Geneva, Switzerland. It is a passion-driven business established in 2011 by its ardent founders who have built their careers in luxury hospitality management. Swiss Premium Negos was selected in 2022 as the best luxury concierge company in Switzerland by a world-renowned organization. SBN offers its clients exclusive access to the world's best hotels, villas, and resorts, pampers them with unrivaled limousine services, and perfectly tailored experiences. SPN team embraces change, innovation, and the state-of-the-art technology in order to thrive in the world of luxury. Enjoy SPN's unique services because luxury is all about the details. Contact SPN at www swisspremiumnegos.com to learn about their services. You can join them on their journey by following them on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook for more updates about their latest releases and special offers.